Hello, curious minds. Welcome to season one of Mentorless Podcast, a show where I have in-depth conversation with visual storytellers about one particular project. Together, we look at the creative and tactical steps they took from having an idea to releasing their finished project into the world. I'm your host, Nathalie Sejean. In today's episode, I talk with Richard Botto, aka RB, who is the CEO of Stage 32, a global social and educational platform that allows creatives from the filmmaking and theater industry to connect and grow. But that's not it. RB is also an actor, a screenwriter, and a producer. I invited him on the podcast so we would deconstruct the making of his new book, Crowdsourcing for Filmmakers, Indie Film and the Power of the Crowd, published by Focal Press Book. But things took a different turn. This episode is for you if you want to know how to get reads, how to ask people to read your screenplay, how to understand and cultivate your competitive advantage, and of course, if you want to understand why crowdsourcing is a vital component for your career to thrive. The conversation with RB should leave you with your neurons ready to connect aspects of your career in a brand new way. Don't forget to subscribe via Apple Podcast, Podcast Addict, SoundCloud, Stitcher or any other app you use. You just need to search for Mentorless Podcast and click on the subscribe button. Enjoy the ride and I'll see you on the other side. RB, welcome to the show. Thanks for being with me. Thanks for having me, Natalie. I'm very honored to uh, be on your podcast. You know, uh, you're not only a friend, but I'm a big fan of everything you do. It's likewise. Actually, we had the chance to meet a couple of times, one time in uh, London when uh, we ended up both doing a meetup at the same time. I was doing a mentorless meetup, you were doing a stage 32 meetup, and we kind of merged our meetups a few years ago. And then we met again in Cannes, so we, we've known each other. Funnily enough, we've known each other after I left Los Angeles. So we are this typical social media slash afterwards in real life friends. That's a big testament to the power of the new world we're living in. Today, we're going to talk about your career and we're going to talk about your career as an entrepreneur and as a creative, as someone who wear both hats very successfully and who is doing a lot of things in 2020. For hours. Your latest creative project that has been released a few months ago is a book named Crowdsourcing for Filmmakers. And we are going to talk about what was the creative process and how you managed to write and publish a book, all the while having company. And that company is Stage 32. If the people who are listening right now don't know what Stage 32 is, I encourage them to Google it. But basically, a lot of people are comparing it to the LinkedIn for filmmakers or actually anyone who is working or is wishing to work in the filmmaking industry. So the first question I want to ask you is the question I've been asking almost every guest. If you go to a party tonight and you meet someone and you don't know who that person is, you don't know what their job, you're just meeting someone and they don't know who you are, what do you say to introduce yourself? Well, it's a great question. I mean, it really, really is. And you know, um, you know me well enough to know. And and even when it, it came to you and I meeting, that I I am such a huge believer in relationship building and the power of relationships and how important they are in forging a career in this business. And you know, so for me, it it all comes down to awareness. You know, the first thing I try to do if I'm going to an event is you know try to if I can try to find out who is going to be there. And if I can't find that out, you know, to have an idea of what 
type of person is going to be there. So, you know, if I'm going to something at like the Producers Guild, let's say, you know, I know there's going to be a lot of producers there. If I'm going to a film premiere, it's going to be the cast and crew and the producers of that movie. So I want to know a little bit about as many people as I can before I go in, because to me, relationship building all begins with being selfless. And it begins with, you know, offering of yourself before asking, you know, for yourself. So if I was, you know, if I happened to be at an event and I didn't know somebody, I probably would go up and I would, you know, introduce myself and say, you know, tell me a little bit about you. What, what brought you here tonight? How are you connected to this event? You know, are you, you know, again, if it's a film, a film premiere, are you connected to anybody in the film or are you connected to the film itself? It's coming in from a place of pure curiosity and coming in from a place, of, again, of selflessness. I, I'm a big believer of the rule of three and which I define and other people have defined it in different ways. You know, if you're familiar with Gary Vee, you know, he calls it punch. Uh, I think it's called jab, jab, punch or something like that. To me, it's the, the rule of three is that I will always ask three questions before I make anything about myself. You know, and usually when you do that, you know, the, the interesting thing that I think a, peop- a lot of people don't realize is that when you take that approach, you know, imagine if somebody came up to you and, and said, so tell me about you and tell me how you're connected to this event. Tell me how you're connected to this party. And you start talking and then, you know, you get another question and it's like, well, that's really interesting. Tell me a little bit more about that. You know, eventually what's going to be the question you're going to get back? It's going to be, tell me about you. Tell me a little bit about you. What brought you here tonight? And, you know, that's your opportunity to, you know, again, not drown somebody with information and, you know, but to get out the information that you want to get out and talk about why you're there. And, you know, that's the the sort of beginnings of the seeds of building a relationship over time. And I think that, you know, a lot of people um, want to run before they walk. But, you know, building relationships starts with an easing in process. And, and it's a long game. It's, you know, it's, it's a marathon, not a sprint. That's very true. And actually, just uh, for people who are listening, because I know this is what you do, and this is not a bullshit answer. I mean, I just I just need to say it because one of the things that's always been very interesting for me when I um, over the years, it's been a few years now that we know each other, is that you are really, you're kind, first of all, and you. you pay attention and you reply to your emails very quickly and I don't know it seems that nothing falls through the crack and that's one of the things that I, I want to tackle with you in, during this conversation is how ultimately you end up having this type of generosity while not losing yourself as well because we are living right now in an era where it's hard to prioritize at some point it's hard to prioritize between the tweets and the instagrams and the emails and i'm sure you receive a ton of emails per day so before before we get into the book i want to set up a little bit of the context you're evolving in your career and i want to go back a little bit about stage 32 because what i've read so far is that the starting point was you saw there was a need People were meeting at conventions and, uh, you know, at festivals or even during uh, while they were shooting films. And then they were, you know, all going back to their lives and not seeing each other again until the next event that could be six months later, one year later or, or never. And you felt there was this need for them to have a platform where they could keep on connecting, exchanging and eventually meet other like-minded people. So you, you and, and correct me if I'm wrong, of course. And you started this, this idea. It was just an idea. Right now it's a huge platform. But back then you sent an email, you created this beta website. You, you sent an email to friends, to 100 friends, if I read correctly. And you, you asked 
them for feedback and you ask them to send it to five more friends and give you three ways to improve the website. And this is what became half a million, I think, members. But there's a lot of time between this first email and uh, today. And what's very interesting to me is that you're an actor, you're a producer, you're a screenwriter. And so you you, you launch this, uh, this idea and how prepare... Because at, back then, I'm guessing there was no way of making it a business. It was just an idea. How did you handle the scaling of Stage 32? What was your first reaction when you realized this is becoming something big? And how um, how can I place my creative career compared to Stage 32? Yeah, I mean, these, it's, for, you, you're dead on. I mean, that's pretty much how it all began. I mean, it really did begin out of a need. I, you know, a lot of people to this day, when they meet me, they just think that I'm a business guy. It's, one of the, it's actually one of the things that I have to work on with my public persona constantly. And if you're familiar with my public persona, if you go on Instagram or if you go on Twitter or if you go on Stage 32 or if you listen to my, you know, podcast or webcast or any of these things, you, you, you'll know that... Uh, I'm not just a business guy that started this site uh, or this platform. I'm, you know, as you said, an actor, a writer, and a producer. I'm somebody that's working in the business and somebody that's on the grind every single day. And that's really why I started it, because as somebody that's on the grind every day and as somebody who has um, had some experience, even back in, you know, I, I worked as a uh, an actor in theater in New York, and, you know, it that was a very small community and it, but it was very, very much a community of relationships. I mean, you got ahead, you know, by, uh, cultivating and building these relationships within this small community. And it was important that you had sort of a brand within that community that, you know, you were, you know, somebody knew what kind of actor you were, you, you were like, you know, where you fit in, um, you know, how you managed your career, if you were realistic about the roles you could play, or if you were, you know, uh, kind of out there thinking you play everything. And, but also, you know, the brand of you as a person, you know, were you easy to work with? Are you a true collaborator? You know, all those things matter. So, th you know, I carried that with me as I moved into film. And, you know, the reality of the situation is, is that to me, time is, you know, I hate to say time is money because that's so cliche, but time really is your most valuable commodity. And and I, I've known that for a very, very long period of time. So when I was, you know, working on some small indie projects and those would end and everybody would go their separate ways and everything like that. And you really wouldn't talk to people for a while, but you wanted to stay connected to them and really had to stay connected to them. It was, you know, Facebook and all this. But when I looked at Facebook and I looked at, you know, having an account there or having a profile there, it just seemed completely worthless to me because the people that I wanted to connect with, you know, I would identify the people I wanted to connect with. I would find those people within the business that I said, okay, I'm going to send a friend request to these people. But then I would look at what they were posting and, you know, they were posting things about their lives. They were posting things about, you know, where they were eating, where, you know, who, their pictures of their babies and their dogs and their cat, which is all fine and good. And that's kind of what Facebook's all about. But that's not what I'm all about. And that's not what I want to spend my time on. So my approach was um, and my my uh, belief really was that, you know, niche social networks were going to be the next thing that people who understood the power of social media would want to harness that power in a way that was beneficial to their interests and in their careers. So for me, that of course was film and content creation and um, indie films. So, you know, I created the platform and then the idea of building it 
which I'm glad you brought up because, you know, we, we, this word crowdsourcing that we're going to probably talk about a lot and that people are hearing a lot of, and to me is the most important, literally the most important topic I think that anybody could be talking about in 2018, especially in this DIY world of controlling your own content and controlling as much of the process as you can control. Well, really this entire platform has been crowdsourced. You know, when I started it, I wasn't using the word crowdsourcing. I was call I was calling it community building. And what I meant by that was, you're right. I went to a hundred of my friends and I said, if you like what you see here, and I gave them no chance to say no. I gave them because what I did instead of going to them and saying, I have this idea for this platform, and I knew if I went and said, I ha if I, I have this idea for this platform, they were going to come back to me and say, well, I'm on Facebook and well, I'm on LinkedIn and well, I'm on. so I went the reverse way. What I did was I went to them and I said. What social platforms are you on? And I would get back, Facebook, LinkedIn, Twitter, this, that, and the other thing. And then I would say, have you gotten any work off of that? Or have you made any meaningful connections off of that? And I would say, be honest with me. And there would be that moment where everybody would pause and they would think and they would rack their brain and they're like, you know what? No, I'm not getting anything out of it. And I said, okay, I'm going to have something for you in a few months. So I went and I built the platform. I did it backwards. You know, I, I kind of put my money where my mouth was and I built the first phase of the platform. And then I went back to these people and I said, look, you're a friend of mine. I need you to create a profile. If you like what you see, I want feedback. But if you like what you see, what I'm looking to do here is to build a community by word of mouth. You guys are going to help me strengthen the community. You have to go to the people that respect your voice and that believe in you and tell them about what I'm doing. Because if I go to the people that respect you and they don't know me, I'm just going to be another voice in the crowd and they're going to go, yeah, right, yeah, right, yeah, right. And that's the power of the crowd. And that is at its essence what crowdsourcing is all about. So, you know, I went to these hundred people and I said, you know, if you like what you see, invite at least five fellow creatives and 97 of them started inviting people. And the other three eventually, you know, the other three eventually uh, hunted down and they eventually did it as well after they, they got paid, you know, they had, they had some very solid uh, pushback and, you know, criticisms and, and we listened to that and we adjusted but they eventually got on board too. And what happened was every single person after that that joined the platform got a message from me and that message still stands today. If you sign up for an account on stage32.com today, you'll see this message. And it's me saying basically, this is a platform for you, built by you. And what I mean by that is that the only way that we're gonna create more opportunities and more power and more content is if we have more people on the platform. So I need you to do your part. My ask is, if you like what you're seeing here, to go invite as many fellow creators as you can so we strengthen this community and make it a movement. And that was the message that everybody got. So within three months, we went from 100 people to close to 5,000. And that was the power of the crowd. And that was the power of crowdsourcing. And that was about the point where I said, okay, yeah, there is something here. You know, did I, you know, did I expect it at that moment to be this global thing? You know, not maybe, but not really. I mean, you know, if I was really thinking it from it, uh, you know, people had said it to me too. They were like, if you're going to do this from a business standpoint, you know, only open it in New York and LA and, you know, build up those areas first and then add another city. And, you know, this is how you platform it up. I was like, you know what? Screw that. You know, this is, there is, and I saw it back then, there is content creation happening globally where it's happening across cities, across uh, countries, across continents, you know, people who are filming something in one country and having posts done in another country. And we were seeing that back then. 
And I just said, no, you know what? We're going to roll it out to the world. And we're just going to count on the community to do what they're asked, if, you know, if they're happy to do what they're asked. And they have. And you know, so to this day, we went from the 100 people to over a half million worldwide. And we've never paid a dime for advertising. It's all word of mouth. It's all crowdsourcing. It's all people believing in the movement, believing in what we're doing, seeing the results in what we're doing if they're working the platform, which is something that we can talk about later because that's a big if. And, and, you know, and, and spreading the word. So that's, you know, that's what's been beautiful about it. So because you're saying we, when you started right away, you had you, you teamed up with a couple of people, a, a developer or something like that. Yeah, when I, I mean, the, the, the thought, the, the, you know, the idea was mine. It, it came and, you know, you know, there was the, the acorn of an idea back in 2009. And then I kind of took that acorn of the idea and, and applied it to, it, it bloomed basically when I was on the set of a couple of independent films and I saw what was going on and I saw the anxiety of some of the people that were working on the set, you know, uh, as to uh, what am I going to do next? You know, as you were getting close to rapping, like, man, this was great, but now what? And, you know, which I think we all have a little bit of that. And I think you always have that. And I think that that's sort of the, the fear and the anxiety that should drive you because you, you know, there's an old saying when it comes to the film business, which is you should never be comfortable. If you get comfortable, you know, they, that's when the opportunities disappear. So, yeah, I mean, it was, it was, the idea was there. And then I, I connected with a developer to start building the first phase of it. Um, you know, we didn't really start adding any team members until probably, I would say maybe 2013, 2014. And then we started building the team once we saw, you know, once we had built up the community probably to about 100,000 or maybe a little bit more. And we wanted to start adding features and start adding education and everything like that. That's, that's about the time we started adding people. During all these years, these first few years, were you able to still work on creative projects or did you leave those on the side and just focus? Was this, I'm guessing this was a full-time gig. Yeah, it's a great question. And it's why I was so hesitant to do it. You know, like I said, the acorn of the idea was there probably in 2009. And, and I was reluctant to, to, you know, even think about it too much because I thought it would be something that would be very, very cool and something that would be very, very beneficial, like I said, for myself even, you know, for making those relationships that matter. But I also knew it was going to be a freaking hell of a lot of work. And I, you know, I didn't want it to take away from my creative pursuits. You know, I had just started you know, writing about, you know, maybe 2011, 2012. And, but I was producing a couple of independent films and I wanted to get back into acting and, and, uh, you know, had some opportunities that I was kind of circling and, you know, all those things. And I, I said, you know, I have to be able to do this in a way that, you know, will not take me away from everything else. And for, The first couple of years, that was very true. I, I stayed in, I kept my head where it needed to be. I made no excuses. I made sure I was writing, you know, as many mornings or as many nights as humanly possible, finding times in, finding time in between to, you know, produce, getting on those calls that you have to get on when you're a producer and, you know, shaking the tree, to, you know, for financing and everything like that. So yeah, I stayed in it and, you know, I, I stayed committed to it and uh, committed to the creative part of this. And, but, you know, also recognizing the fact that my belief, and I believe this to this day, and I believe it actually more than ever. And I think this is why so many creatives don't succeed and why so many creatives quit or so many, you know, creatives are cynical and bitter and angry is because they don't look at themselves and they don't realize that 
building these relationships and networking is half the job. And I believe that. So to me, the craft work and the business work of film and indie film and content creation is half the job. Building those relationships and you know, uh, cultivating those relationships that matter that where you could get your work read or where you could find somebody who knows somebody who wants to get to that A-list actor or, you know, for a movie you're producing or, you know, you're meeting the agent that, you know, reps that A-list actor or whatever that, you know, do you want in your film, whatever the case may be, that is half your job. So while I was building stage 32, the beauty of it was I was making all these relationships on the platform that would pay off you know, later on, um, you know, years down the line, but I was also creating art and, and producing films. So I was able to do both for a while, got crazy there a little later. And there was definitely a period where, you know, when it finally really blew up and it became, you know, we started building the team and I had to put my focus into, you know, being able to service the community, so to speak, you know, give them the, give them what they needed, give them the educational opportunities and work with all these educators we work with now. That's when a lot of my creative pursuits suffered a little bit. And, you know, I had to recalibrate about a year and a half ago to say, okay, you know, I got to get back to, you know, you made a promise to yourself and, you know, no excuses. You got to find the time. You got to make the time. You got to, you know, balance your time as much as possible, even though I hate that word balance. But you got to do it. You know, you have to do it. And, you know, you you stand out in front of this thing where you say no bullshit, no excuses, get it done. You got to go do it. You got to practice what you preach. And I have. And it's it's made uh, a huge difference in moving the needle on a bunch of projects that I'm working on right now. I want us to dig that part especially. But before that, I, I do have a question. One of the big pain points for creatives is usually the money. I want to create, I have projects, but those projects don't bring money. So I need to uh, either do projects that bring money or I need to have a side job to make money. In your case, what I find interesting is that you were starting a company that I'm guessing the first year was not bringing money, if it's if it's like any other company. And of course, working on creative projects, but that also if you were writing, probably the first few drafts, you were not making any money. So how did you handle the economical pressure while being creative on both the entrepreneurial side and your creative career? It's an awesome question. It's a great question. And no, we no, I did not raise money. I bootstrapped the uh, the entire thing, uh, put my own money into it. It was very tough. It was, you know, when I when I launched it, I had come out of a couple of other uh, business opportunities that did pretty well, and you know, was able to put some money towards this thing. I didn't have, you know, a, a gigantic nest egg to sit on by any stretch of the imagination. It wasn't, you know, I wasn't loaded, <laughs> you know, and I, but you know, I was, I, I had done okay to the point where I was like, okay, I definitely could put some money towards this. And I did. And, you know, to this day, we haven't uh, raised any, any capital. We've done it all ourselves, um, which I'm very proud of. But the, you know, it, during that time, there were a couple of things that helped me out a little bit, a couple of producing gigs that, you know, brought in a little bit of money, a couple of writing gigs that brought in a little bit of money. But this dilemma, I mean, to this day, I mean, you know, look, it, it's, you know, stage 32 in a lot of ways, it's, it's so blown up and, you know, we have thousands of hours of education now and all this, you know, content and everything like that. But a lot of people don't realize that that only really started occurring over the last couple of years. And, you know, it's still, 
it's a lot to run this thing. I think people don't realize it. I mean, people, you know, some people uh, in the investment world who, you know, we've been approached and we've been approached by people in the industry that are at the forefront of the convergence between tech and entertainment. And they look at this thing and they say, holy cow, this thing is such a robust platform. You must have dozens and dozens of people working on it. Like some people are even like, you know, it really is as feature rich as like, you know, a LinkedIn or something like that. And I'm like, yeah, we, well, we have about 6,000 less employees. <laughs> I mean, it's like, it's, but it's the truth, you know? So anyway, it's uh, getting a little bit off on, on your, off your question. But I mean, the thing is, I think for any creative look, it's such a tough topic because I understand it. I've lived it and I've lived with the struggle and I've lived where like, oh my God, where's the next paycheck going to come from? And, you know, shit, you know, how am I going to, you know, make ends meet and how am I going to create? And, you know, I got to take this project for money and everything like that. It's, there's so many different answers to this question. The one, but the one common denominator is, is that I don't think you could think about your art in terms of money. I don't think that you, at least not at first. And that means that if you're just starting out or if you haven't had that level of success where you're getting paid on assignment or, um, you know, you're constantly getting work, then you have to think about, you know, how do you, how do you make ends meet and how, you know, how do you make that happen? So of course I know so many creatives and it's the oldest cliche in LA, of course, that you, you know, you're a, a waiter or a waitress or a bartender while you're, you know, running to auditions or writing that screenplay at Starbucks in between and everything like that. But it's true. I mean, you got to do what you got to do, right? I don't know, man. I, I find that the people that are in this business that, can get jobs within the business, like, you know, even if they're smaller jobs as runners or things like that, where they're just getting paid a little bit and, and can get the experience, if they can manage to do that and, and make ends meet, that's great. Otherwise, you really do have to go and, you know, you have to do what you have to do and then you have to find the time. I have a very good friend. She's, you know, a mom. You know, she's in her 40s. She has three kids. Uh, she's divorced and, you know, she works three jobs, but she also pushed out three screenplays last year and she met and she managed to land the manager and she's got a development deal and everything like that. And I look at her and I just, you know, I draw inspiration from that in a lot of ways, but I also use it as a story to tell, you know, when people say to me, I don't have the time because, you know, you got to find the time, man. I mean, everybody can find the time. And, and by the way, you know, and this just happened this morning. We were talking about this off air a little bit. There probably isn't a day. I'm not even exaggerating. There probably isn't a day that goes by that somebody won't hit me up on, uh, or somebody will hit me up on Instagram, Twitter, uh, you know, DM, uh, you know, DM on stage 32 or whatever. And just be like, man, I just listened to you on podcast X, or I saw a video X, or I was at FilmCon Expo and heard you speak and that. And I just think what you're doing is so amazing and you're just, you know, you're giving so much of yourself to so many people. You're so inspiring. And then they'll say, what you're doing with Stage 32 is just incredible. I'm not on there much. I haven't really done much with the platform, but I just think it's really, really cool. And I wonder, and I get that all the time. And I think to myself, why would you even say that to me? You know what I mean? Like, are you thinking, are you thinking that? Like you want to compliment me and you want to make contact with me and then you want to say that you appreciate what I'm doing, but you don't realize that you're indicting yourself, like you're, that you're, you're pointing the finger at yourself, that you're, you're not doing uh, the work you should be doing with, the, you know, or are you just saying like, 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 it's like, like, it's like, I should feel bad about that. I don't feel bad about that. You're, you're actually giving other people a competitive advantage by not being in there. And then the other part of that is, 
when people say to me, I just don't have the time like this, this guy did this morning. Well, it's very easy for me to go into Google, put your name in, look at your other social media accounts and see just how much time you're wasting, you know, posting about political things or about the TV show you just binged watched. And, you know, I mean, you see it all, it happens all the time. You can't hide on social media. You can't. So when people say to me, they don't have the time, you know, and do you have any advice for somebody that doesn't have time? The first, and I get that a lot too. Can you have any advice for somebody that just doesn't have the time? You know, I, I work in two jobs and I'm doing this. I'm like, yeah, I just looked at your Twitter account, you know, instead of binge watching house, of, you know, six seasons of house of cards, go freaking right. Go on an audition, you know, go produce a movie, go make content. You know what I mean? Get friends together and shoot a short film. Go make a web series on low budget, no budget. You know, go do something, but don't complain. And you, and you just see it all the time. I mean, I see it all the time. So, you know, look, I mean, for me, yeah, there were a couple of years where I'm not going to say I didn't make excuses. I, you know, or maybe a year, I would say, where, where Stage 32 blew up and, and my creative career struggled a little bit. But even at that, let me, let me, let me define struggling for everybody so, you know, this is when I had a movie in development, you know, with Covert Media, which is still going on. So I was working on that. I did have a movie that I was producing. It was moving very slow. And, you know, these things take time, but we were still taking meetings and everything like that. I was doing a revision on a TV pilot I had written and I was finishing up the book. So when I say like my creative stuff suffered, to me that was actually suffering. And I'm not saying that, I'm not saying that to be boastful or, or like say I'm overachiever or anything like that. But to me it was like those things were all happening sporadically and they weren't happening on the consistent basis that I really loved those things to be work, you know, moving. And you know, if you know anything about this business, you need to have a lot of irons in the fire because things do take an enormous amount of time to move. But that that to me was, you know, that to me was sort of slacking a little bit. You know, so to me, it's no excuses, no bullshit. Go do it. Find a way. It's great because it's a perfect transition to going back to where you said, okay, there was a moment where a, a year and a half ago, I needed to recalibrate. Tell us a little bit about how did you realize this and what, what was your first decision? What were the steps you took to recalibrate? That's a great question. It, it was what made me realize it was I had a meeting with my my screenwriting manager. And, you know, we've had this script that's been in development. Um, you know, I signed the deal before Sundance, I think two years ago. And, you know, we had a director attached. We had to replace him with another director. It's been a long process. And this is with, this is with the financing in. I mean, the financing is in. But, you know, just because the financing is in doesn't mean that, you know, it's easy to get an actor to a, an actor that's worth the weight in pre-sales overseas, which is what the producer needs and the production company needs, you know, to sign on. And it, it's a process. I mean, you know, you, you give it to an actor at an agency to read, you might not hear back for six weeks and you can only go one at a time because you don't want to piss anybody off. So it was one of these things where we were, you know, it's, it's taken a lot of time as a lot of these things do. So, you know, I was happy that that was still happening though. And there was another script that, you know, I wanted to really kind of push out there that he didn't feel the timing was right. And now we are. And it was just all this stuff. And, you know, we were having lunch and he just said to me, he's like, you know, you got to give me something else. He's like, you know, you were always churning out something else and or at least, you know, thinking of other things. He goes, give me something to go rum with. And I was like, damn, yeah, there isn't, you know, and then I kind of started looking at what I had going on. And even like I said, the film I was producing 
you know, we knew it was going to take a while because we were in the investment raise phase and we were about, you know, 30% to where we needed to be. And the other producers were having meetings and I was having the occasional meeting on it, but it was, you know, it was sporadic. You could go three, four, five weeks without anything really moving. And, you know, I just hadn't done outside of finishing the book. I really hadn't done anything. You know, I'm like, yeah, you know, I'm, I do need to start churning out some more content. I do need to start thinking about what else I want to produce or, or do I want to take one of the scripts that I already have and go film it myself or produce it myself. All these things kind of came into, into my head. And so I said, okay, let me take a step back here and see what really do I want to do next. And I had had this story, you know, kind of festering in my head. It was, it's based on a true story and it's something that I really wanted to write. And I didn't know if I wanted to write it as a feature. I had never written anything for TV before and felt like it might be better for TV and, you know, never written a pilot, you know, all everything I had written before that was features. And I just said, you know what? I'm committing. I'm going to do this as a pilot. And I wrote the first draft in, in two and a half weeks. I just committed to it. I wrote every day, you know, sometimes, you know, till, and again, you know, this is while I was doing stage 32. So sometimes I, you know, get home after, you know, a full day and dinner meetings and all this crap. And it'd be 10 o'clock and I'd be exhausted and I write till four in the morning because I'm like, you know what, that's what I'm going to do. I'm doing this. And, you know, if I commit myself to doing it, I'm going to do it. And, you know, now the pilot you know, he went through the rewrites and all sorts of stuff. And now the pilot's being pushed around town, which is great. But that was the cause and effect, right? It's like, you know, you, know, you have the relationships, you're working on the relationships, you're doing that. And that's the one thing I will say, too, is that when I say I was slacking, I was slacking on the creative end, but I was never slacking on the relationship end. So that actually gave me a little fuel as well, because I was able to sit there when I was recalibrating, since we're using that word, to sit there and say, where was I a year ago now, as far as the people I knew, the relationships I have, the people who are now in my sort of circle of trust, and where am I now? And it was significantly better. And I sat there and said, okay, I'm not going to beat myself up that I haven't created so, so much because I have handled the other half of my job, which is the relationship building. So when I do create something now, I'm going to have a lot of people to go to, and I'm going to have a lot of people that are going to say, yeah, sure, I'll, be. I'll, I'll give that a read, or I'll, I'll take a look at that. Or I could just go bounce the idea off of and say, hey, let me let me throw this idea at you and let me know, you know, what you think. Is there a spot for this in the business? I mean, in, in the current landscape. So all the, so that was one thing that also helped was that I knew I was handling at least something. And that's why I always preach to people, you know, when it comes to your relationships and building relationships and networking, the two things you have to remember is that we live in a world of access that we've never lived in before. It is unbelievable who you can reach on social media 24 7 365 and i'm not saying that you know if you reach out if you make a target list of 10 people and you reach out to them through social media i'm not saying that all 10 are going to respond but if you go in with the right approach and a selfless approach and an approach that makes them feel like you're not trying to get something out of them immediately because the most prominent people in this business and the most successful people in this business of course most of their interactions are people who want something from them, you know, so give something to them, bring value to them, even if it's just asking questions or whatever, or complimenting in, in a non-creepy way, those things are great. That's the first part. The second thing is not only do we live in a golden age of access, but you could do it 24, seven, 365. And that's what I tell people when people say to me, I don't have time to network. I'm like, do you go get coffee in the morning? And they're like, yeah, I go to Starbucks every morning. Is your Starbucks crowded? 
Yeah, how long does it take you to get your coffee in the morning? Oh man, sometimes it takes me 20, 25 minutes. Good, network. Get on your freaking Stage 32 app, make contacts, make connections, or whatever whatever platform is working for you and make those connections. No excuses. Don't spend those 25 minutes sending meaningless texts or watching meaningless YouTube videos or anything like that. Spend your time wisely. And I was doing that during that year, even though, like I said, I wasn't, I wasn't producing and being prolific and creating content. I still was making the connections that matter. So again, you know, when I wrote that pilot, I was able to get that first draft and, you know, get a few qualified people to read it and people that, you know, I had built relationships with to give me an honest, which was very important, uh, some honest feedback. It's very interesting. Um, do you have, when you make this decision of writing or when you nurture your relationship and develop relationships, is this something where you're just following your instinct and you're just saying, I'm going to do it and you do it and you're very focused just naturally? Or do you have tactics, strategies? Let's start with the relationship side, let's say, because mm -hmm. this is, I think this is the one where people... Um, maybe have less strategies in place. Maybe you don't have any, huh? but you're the first person, I think, who emphasizes so much how real relationships and building real relationships is essential. And you're, you're now uh, showing how, even though you, you were not uh, actively creating, you still created the right, uh, let's say, surrounding for your work to be received afterward, maybe more positively. So what do you do about your relationships? Is this something where you're thinking like you, you are like a no-fat type of person You're you're when you're going on your social media is with a goal or uh, you're, you're scheduling five dinners per week? I don't know. Do you have any of these things in place? That's yeah. No, I, you know, it's funny. I don't schedule like five meetings per week or five dinners per week. No, I, you know, man, it's such an, see, everybody has a different approach to this. And so I, I don't want anyone to take what I'm about to say as gospel because what works for you can work for you, but you have to find it's same thing with writing and it's same thing with acting technique and everything like that. I hate when people say you have to do it this way because it's not true. It's one of the reasons why save the cat drives me a little bit nuts, the screenwriting book, because it's like, you know, it, it puts, everything into its little box. And, and I don't like to be in a box. I like to, you know, punch the walls out of the box. And, you know, so, it, so, but for me, it's, it, I'm in a very interesting situation in a way because I am, you know, the CEO of stage 32. So I work with a lot of executives, you know, again, to provide education or to speak at our events and things like that. So sometimes what'll happen is, You know, so there's, it's almost like there's two types of branding that's going on for me. And I, I kind of call this like sub brands. We talked earlier about the importance of having a brand. Well, for me, I was very, you know, uh, it was very complimentary and I'm very grateful to you to say that, you know, when you said earlier on that I'm kind and I'm generous and I respond to people and everything like that, because realistically, that is the brand that I have tried to cultivate is, is that, you know, I am trying to be, I mean, the, the goal behind stage 32 is to be selfless and to provide education and access and support and all those things that I feel a serious creative, somebody that's really serious about their craft will benefit from. You know, when I speak at panels and everything like that, it's, you know, you're not getting paid. You're up there to try to give back, you know what I mean? And I'm a big believer in that. So I'm glad that that's become sort of part of the brand or the brand, but the sub brand of that, of course, is that. I'm an actor, a writer, producer, and then there's another brand, which is I'm the CEO of Stage 32. And what ends up happening with that is that not everybody is, everybody might be aware of, hey, he's a really nice guy, but they're not aware of 
what does he do? And uh, the perfect example of this is recently with one of the scripts that I said we went kind of went back out with, there's an independent producing couple, very prolific, and I've known them for a long time. I probably have known them for five years. I can't, you know, we've spent maybe, I've been in their company maybe four or five times, and we have, you know, maybe communicated via email, you know, another half dozen times. But most of those, you know, most of the, the time together and most of the, the communication have, have been in uh, relationship to stage 32 type of st- type things because they, you know, have provided some education and some other access and opportunity for our, our members. And here I am, you know, bringing this script to them and, you know, explain to them what's going on with it and why I feel that, you know, it's a good fit for their company and, you know, how I feel it could fit in to what they're doing. And they were like, I mean, seriously, they were like, the response was, holy shit, like, not only great, like you did your homework, which was important, like, you know, exactly what we're doing, but we had no idea you were a writer. And this was after six years, they just were like, we just thought that you started this, like, we didn't know. And that was really interesting for me. And when that happened, I said, okay, I have work to do with the people that are in my circle so that they understand that, you know, how do, how do I get everybody to understand the, the other parts of the brand, you know, so to speak. So for me, it's really a unique situation. What I try to do is I try to be very, very present on social media. I try to be a contributor. When you say targeting people, sure. There are times where I will say to myself, maybe I read an article and I go, you know, wow, that's a really interesting producer. Like I, I got to get into the, you know, this guy or, or this you know, woman's orbit. You know what? I'm going to, I'm going to hit them up. If I can't find an email for them, I'm going to, uh, hit them up through social media or something like that. But the first point of contact is always going to be about them. You know, I just read this article about you. This is amazing. You took this thousand dollar movie and you got it into South by Southwest. This is incredible. I was wondering if you might want to tell me a little bit more about how you did this part of the process. Like, how'd you get away with making it so cheap? What'd you do with post? Like, you know, how'd you, how'd you keep the cost down with post production and coloring, color correction and all? How'd you do that? You know, those entry points usually garner a response. But for me, you know, as far as an overall strategy, you can't carpet bomb. This is one thing I will say where it's, it's not a generality. It's, it's, it's absolutely a rule in my opinion. You can't carpet bomb the hillside. You got to know what you want. Ultimately, you have to know who is going to fit in to what your ultimate goal is or who could, who's a possibility to fit into your ultimate goal as far as what the project is, what you're looking to do, if you're looking to raise money or if you're looking to be produced or you're looking to be hired or you're looking to get an acting gig and you want to get in with casting directors, you have to know what your end goal is and who fits into that end goal. The only other thing that I will do is if it's not something that's an end goal for something creativity from a creative standpoint, but more from an informational standpoint, like, you know, again, if I want to somebody that not necessarily mentoring per se, but if I want somebody to provide me with more information on some of the stuff they've worked with, then I come from an educational angle. And so, you know, you know, say, I would love to learn more about this. Can you tell me about this? Can you tell me that? But I don't make the first point of contact. And I think people you do this all the time as well. I don't make the first point of contact. Can I, can I take you for coffee? Can I get five minutes of, the, of your time? Can I hop on the phone with you? And here's why. And people do this all the time. People don't understand sometimes that this other person is not only busy and their, and their time is very, very limited and, of course, very valuable to them, but they have a million people in their circle 
that are asking them for five minutes of their time as well. Plus, they need five minutes of somebody else's time all the time. So they're, so they're busy as well. So they're going to do this with people they built relationships with. And that's the deal. You have to build relationships with people, and then you could ask. And that's why I'm saying you got to come from a very selfless perspective from the beginning and an approach and strategy from the beginning. So for me, it's very, very individual in method depending on what I'm looking to accomplish as far as who I target and how I, but, but the strategies on how I target are almost always the same. It's always about the, you know, the selfless approach and the, uh, the giving approach. I mean, I agree 100% with uh, what you're saying. And I think that, uh, I think this is what is very hard today is that uh, people are impatient and, and it's hard, um, All the time you receive email from people asking you to check their work. One thing yeah. that is that I find um, interesting, and since you're a writer and a screenwriter, it's perfect because the first point of of mentioning someone on the socials, let's say, because you've read something or because you want to praise their work and you do it genuinely because you you you, you feel strong about it, is a, is an easy step, I would say. But maintaining the relationship and more, more importantly, if you have an end goal and let's say your end goal is I want to pitch my film to this person and I, I want this uh, person to read my screenplay. You know, I think this is one of the hardest position to be in when you're a writer because it's, it's a big piece of work. Usually it's like 90 pages, maybe 120 pages. And this is like the worst ask you can do to someone because it's so much time. Right. I mean, as you as as you said before, time is so is such is the most precious thing we have. We're all protective of our of our time. So when you ask someone to read your screenplay, what do you think are the elements that need to be here for it to happen? Um, does it need to be a very close friend or someone who might have an interest in it? I don't know. No, I I think look, I think there's a lot of different ways. If I could take it from my journey, I'll I'll tell you mine because I think you know if you I want to cover this answer. It's a it's a really really good question, and it's it's something that I think you know again, which when it comes to strategy, um, some people want to run before they can walk, and some people just you know I, they get anxious and they're you know they want and and believe me, I was there. I get this, and this is why I want to give sort of the journey answer on this one. Look, when I was starting out as a, a writer, I did have some producer relationships, and I did have, you know, some people in the industry I knew, but very few. I mean, I'm talking when I say producer relationships, I'm talking about you know some people that were just starting out in indie film, and you know they, these weren't people that could just walk into a production company or you know or had access to you know a film fund or or even you know uh, an individual financier with deep pockets. These were just people that were you know scratching and clawing like everybody else. So when I started writing, I really didn't have you know, a cadre of, uh, people or, or, uh, confidants to run to, I had to go work at this. And what I, what I learned early on, and I was exactly like every other writer, you know, the first thing I did when I wrote my first script was I went to a general screenwriting coverage service. And so it was a, it was a service that, you know, you don't know who's reading your script. They, they give you like the initials, like, you know, like, uh, DZ has read your script and, and this is what DZ has to say. And, you know, I, the very first time I got coverage, I went to three, I went, I, I ordered three from this company because I, and this is it, by the way, a process that I still do today. Only I do it with, um, either people I know or through 
actually through a service on stage day too. And I will get to that part of the story because I think it's vitally important, but I get three pieces of feedback always off my first draft. And here's why. If I see something, if, if one person reads it and they're in a bad mood that day, or they just didn't connect to the material and I get those notes back, those notes might not be worth anything because I don't know who this person is, how qualified they are, what mood they were in, whether they, you know, it, I wrote a comedy script and they hate comedies or they don't have the same comedic sensibilities that I have or whatever. So the reason I get three is, is, uh, is this, if I get one, if I get a note on one of them, I'll certainly take a look at it and I'll think about it. If I get a note on two of them, the same note on two of them, then I really have something that I probably should look at a little bit harder. And if I get the same note on all three of them, I know I got a really serious problem. So that's why I go for three. When I got the feedback off the first script, I was so furious because they all passed and they all ripped the damn thing apart. And I was like, who the hell is DZ? And what the hell do they know about anything and everything like that? And, and I was like, you know, this is terrible. And, but of course they were right. I mean, the, the feedback was pretty solid, even though I didn't know who DZ was over time, you know, as I started to realize, okay, you know, when you're a producer and you're giving notes, you expect the screenwriter not to be precious and sensitive. You have to practice what you preach and you need to be realistic and understand that, you know, you're, you're an amateur at this and you got to grow over time. What I started to do is I said, okay, I, I know two things now. Okay. One is I don't want to always be in a situation where I don't know who is reading my script. And the second thing I knew was as a producer, but also seeing, you know, starting to meet other people in the business is that these that people get inundated with pitches all the time. And the reality of the situation is that most producers and most managers and most agents really, really, really depend on getting scripts in two ways. They either depend if they're, if they're reps, if the managers are agents, of course, they're going to, they're going to take care of their own clients first. And they're constantly reading for their own clients because their clients are doing rewrites and doing new scripts and everything like that. So they, they have piles upon piles of scripts from their own, uh, their own clients and producers, uh, and managers and agents as well also get a ton of their material from, reliable sources, people who say, Hey, I think this would be really good for you. You need to read it. And then the rest of the scripts they get come from other sources and occasionally it'll come from a pitch or whatever, but very rarely because, you know, again, it's only so much time to read in a day. They want to make sure that they're spending their time wisely. They don't know you. They don't know if you can write. They don't know. So for me, I knew two things after I started getting that, you know, sort of feedback was I needed to build relationships that over time would lead to people saying to me, you know what, dude, absolutely. I'll read that for sure. And the second thing was that if I was going to pay for feedback that I wanted it to be from somebody that I could either talk to or somebody who I knew was working in the business at the time. So this became that second part became sort of a mission for me with stage 32, which was that when we want, I wanted to make sure if we had coverage services that at least some of those coverage and consulting services were where the reader, I mean, the writer rather 
could pick the executives. So you know, and in the genre that they work in. So, you know, you're not getting a guy that like loves horror or hate, let's say hates horror and you're submitting a horror script to him and you get terrible feedback because they hate horror. That you could actually go in and say, this is a, this is a producer or an executive working in the horror space and, and I can choose them, you know? I use my own service. I do. For my first drafts, I go in and I take my name off the script so that people don't know it's me. Uh, if I do know them, if it's an executive, I do know. And I submitted through to them through stage 32. I actually submitted through my own service because I want to have that working executive, that guy that's in those production meetings that is meeting with, you know, the studios or is meeting with the, the networks or the streaming companies that know exactly what they're buying and what they're looking for and everything like that to provide me feedback, because that's going to shorten my path to success. The first part that I started talking about the building of the relationships, that took a hell of a lot more time. And I think that's the most important thing to take away from this is that if you think about the best relationships in your life and the greatest friendships you have, you know that they took time. You didn't just meet somebody and go, oh my God, we're gonna be best friends forever. You're like family to me. No, no, no. It took a little bit of time, right? Well, that's the same thing in this business. Everybody is sort of on the defensive in this business a little bit if you've been in it for a little while because they're always under attack. They're also they're always getting hit up. They go to a, you know, they go to have drinks at a happy hour and you know, five people come up and pitch them and say, "Hey, you know, I got this script and whatever." You know, you're not the only one and I think people lose sight of that. So again, if you're the type of person that gets that, what you're going to do is your approach is going to be completely different with that executive, you know, and then you're going to find you're going to you're not going to go in to trying to build relationships. I never went in like, let's even say with certain managers in this business when I was searching for a manager, I never really went in to meeting these managers with the hopes that one day they were going to represent me. What I went in with was. I need to know as many people in this business as possible. I need to build relationships in this business. And this person may end up just becoming a really good friend or somebody I can lean on. But, you know, he could end up being somebody that says one day to another manager or to a producer or that I could say one day, hey, listen, I'm not looking for you to rep me, but, you know, could you at least give this a read? Tell me what you think and tell me if it's a fit someplace else or whatever. Or, if you're not building anybody into filling anybody in your roster right now, if your roster is full, is there somebody else you could recommend me to that might want to read something like this? Let me tell you what it's about. That is that crowdsourcing thing that we keep talking about, but it's the, the relationships that lead to the reads. You know, every writer, your goal should be to get reads. You need access to get reads. So how do you get access? Well, there's really only two ways, okay? One is to pay for it. And people hate hearing that. But to me, look, I made a commitment five years ago after I got those three pieces of feedback back, okay? And I said, okay, yes, it was right, but I wanna know who the hell these people are. If I could hop on the phone with them, it'd be great. If I just knew who they were, it would be awesome. So at least I have an idea if they're qualified to give me these notes or if they actually work within the genre. So what I said to myself at that point was, okay, here's the deal. I am investing all this time into honing my craft, becoming a better writer, writing itself, which you know takes an enormous amount of time. Why would I not invest in myself to get the best feedback and the best access and create the best opportunities for myself? So here were the things that I said immediately I'm not gonna do anymore at that point. I'm never gonna pay for feedback from somebody I don't know, okay? I am never going to enter a contest again that if I win, 
it's not going to give me direct access to decision makers or if I'm a finalist or whatever the hell the case is, I don't care about the thousand dollars. I don't care about another copy of final draft. What I want is reads and meetings. That's what I want. Reads and meetings. Okay. And when I made that commitment, so I said, okay, I'm going to skip some dinners. You know, I'm not going to go out with the boys every night and go to the, you know, the bar, or, you know, instead of going out to the bar, you know, twice a week, we'll go once a week. I'll see him on a, you know, a Saturday or something. I'm going to, you know, maybe I'm not going to go, like I said, get Starbucks every morning and save a few dollars every day. You know, instead of spending five bucks a day on coffee, 30 days, $150, I can get freaking coverage from somebody or get on a consulting call with somebody that actually can move the needle on my career and give me the, the, the uh, feedback that's going to make a difference or the course knowledge that's going to make a difference. Well worth it. So once I made that commitment, here's the deal. Everything changed. My writing changed so significantly that I went from, you know, being a semifinalist at the contest to finalist, you know, finalist and winning a couple that led to me landing my manager. But it also led to me being able to sit there. And by the way, when I started winning those types of contests, I was able to go to people I was building relationships with and say, hey, I just, you know, won this contest, like, you know, and it was, you know, like creative world and, and finalist page awards and stuff like that. And they were like, oh, really? Oh, cool. Send that to me. I'd like to read that. You know what I mean? Because that now there's a legitimacy associated with that. So it's all about building the story for yourself. And, you know, the story for yourself, if you imagine the fact that the story for 90% of amateur screenwriters, and when I say amateur, I'm talking about people who, I don't even want to say amateur. I hate that word. People that are just starting out or people that are trying to navigate this thing, 90% of them are, hey, can you, read my, can you read my script? Hey, can you read my script? Don't be that guy or girl. Create a different story for yourself. Create relationships for yourself. Put yourself in the best position. Invest in yourself and you will see that your path accelerates tremendously. But a lot of people just don't get that. A lot of people, I mean, I get it every single day probably five times a day. Can you read? I have four great spec scripts, man. You better work with me, man. I'm awesome. You got to guess what? You're not even getting a response. You're not, if I'm in a really bad mood, which is very rare, it's not even a bad mood. If I feel like giving you a little bit of feedback, I'll be like, this is really the, the worst approach I've ever seen in my life. Like you can't, you're never going to get, you will never get anywhere. You have to change your approach. You don't know me. I know a lot of people that I, you know, that I have relationships with that want me to read this stuff. And even at that, it sometimes takes me weeks. You said earlier, how do you get people to read it, right? I have people in my circle that I have given a script to, that the one that we're talking about that's kind of running around right now, that I gave to over three months ago. These are friends of mine now. These are people that I work with on other stuff, you know, on other things. And they will literally hit me up every once in a blue moon and go, dude, I'm so sorry I haven't read this. I am just so slammed. And I get it. I'm not offended by it. But what I'm saying is if it's taking them three months to get to me and we're friends, and they, and they do think I'm a decent writer and they do know that I'm repped and that I have you know, films in development and stuff like that. If it's taking them three months when they have interest, when it, how are they going to, uh, you really think they're going to take on a blind query? Of course not. Of course not. So I, that's the thing. I just, you know, I know we keep coming back to this idea about relationship building, but you got to invest in yourself. I think it's, it's, uh, it's amazing because uh, <laughs> listening to you, I, I started reali realizing a couple of things about my own story. And one of them is that I have two producers for my movie right now, but it started just with one producer at first. And it just so happened that this one producer that I got, when I sent her my screenplay, 
I never did it thinking she's going to offer me to produce my film, which is always a dream, right? You always think, ah, uh, if only this person. So Muguet Ozan is my producer. And when we met, it was in Los Angeles. And by, by back then, she was a, a buyer. So every year she was co going to uh, the film market. We met there. And over the years, he just saw my work and we got along and we, we, you know, we were just friends. And then at some point she quit and she became a producer. But we were still friends and, and just, uh, you know, keeping each other in the loop. And I sent her my screenplay because part of it takes place in Istanbul and she's Turkish. And I just wanted to know if it was realistic enough. And... And that's it. And she read it. I got very lucky because she read it very quickly. And to go back and to go back to your point, I have I have a friend who sent me his screenplay a month and a half ago, and I still haven't read it. And every day I see it on my to-do list, and I'm like, I need to read this screenplay. I need to read this screenplay. So I, and I'm not that important on the you know. So I understand what you mean, and I think a lot of people don't realize that asking someone to read a screenplay is a big ask. Well, yeah. But wait, let me, let me just say a couple of things here. First of all, you don't say you're not important because you're busy and you're doing things and you're, you're creating your own art as well and producing yours. I mean, you're doing a lot of things, including this podcast where you're giving back and everything like that. So it, your time is still enormously valuable. And I, and I related to that because I have a good friend who sent me her pilot and I've been dying to read it because it's such an interesting story. I mean, we had drinks about maybe I, almost a month ago and I said, send it to me and I haven't been able to get to it yet. And it's been on my to-do list and I see it every day as well. And I'm trying to find the time and I will, but I'm saying, you know, again, people don't realize that people are busy, but they want to point out one other thing you said that I think is, so, I don't want to skip over this because I think it's so important. You sent that script to this producer and you said, you know, I want to know if I'm accurate, you know, if, if this is, if, if there's accuracy in, in the world and what I'm writing and everything like that, that is giving value to that person. You are saying to them, I value your opinion. I'm not asking for you to do this or to read the, you know, to read it for anything else, except that I just want to know. And also what you what you're projecting to her is this is somebody that takes this seriously and that wants to do it right. This is what I'm talking about. I'll tell you a really really quick story that fits right into this. So I have a friend who had a film that went to Sundance in 2016. The film did okay. It got bought before it went to Sundance and then it it didn't do great at the box office and he's been, you know, he's rep by UTA and he's, you know, he's scratching and clawing for the next thing and he's a writer producer so he really wants to only produce he only wants i'm sorry he's a writer director he only wants to direct the stuff that he writes but he writes a lot of he writes a lot of things that are sort of fringe and not very commercial so they're not the easiest ones to make and then you know they're usually one to two million dollar movies and you know he's kind of put himself in this kind of put himself in this box was open to the idea of doing something else but you know and, and all this but anyway he's become a friend and so when this film that I was saying was in development and we were, we, we had to get rid of the other director and we were looking for who the next director is going to be, this guy, because, and this is another important part of this question, this guy is the ultimate relationship builder. This guy 
is constantly working his relationships, checking in with people, being selfless. How you doing? How you been? Hey, I saw this article I read this morning. I thought you would, you know, I thought you'd get a kick out of it. Or hey, remember that conversation we were having at dinner? Here's something that I thought you would like. He's so aware and he's so good at it, and he does it in a way that is not bullshit and it's totally organic and it's totally real. So because he has so many relationships in the business, and because we were looking for a director now, I went to him. And I said, hey, I need you to do me a favor. I said, give this thing a read out of people in your network that, you know, they got to be accomplished. They have to be accomplished. But I know you know so many people that are, you know, you may know somebody that's looking for the next gig that maybe I could bring into the, to the mix, uh, you know, bring to covert or bring in and whatever. He says to me, I'll read it. But I just want to make it clear, you know, like you know, I want to I want to direct my own stuff. I, it's not going to be me. And I said, JT. That's how I just told you who it is. I said, you know, um, I don't, you know, it, it doesn't matter. I said, I don't know if I would be able to bring you in anyway. It doesn't matter. Just read it. But he read it and he loved it. And he said, you know, I got to get a meeting on this. And I said, and it was exactly that thing. I said, I don't know if that's going to work because, you know, they're looking for this type of director or that. But the point of the matter is, is that now he's attached. Okay. And he did, you know, he got in, I got him in the room. He did the meetings and he sold himself. He did really, really well. The whole point of all of this is, is that I only brought it to him because I valued his opinion and because we had built that relationship. He had only, he only read it because we had built that relationship and he was willing to help me and everything like that. I brought value to him because I valued the fact that he might know somebody and that he, and he brought value back to me because he was very interested and because he wants, you understand what I'm saying? It's, it's, those are the relationships that lead to things getting done in this business. These things just don't happen overnight. The material has to be on point because nobody does anybody favors in this business. Nobody is going to go make a movie because they like somebody. They're going to make a movie because they like somebody and the content is on point and everybody is bringing, bringing value. And that's what you always have to think about. Like, what value am I bringing to every single interaction, every single meeting, every single, uh, you know, conference, panel, you know, after, you know, networking event, whatever the hell it is, what's the value I'm bringing? What am I giving? And I think that's where a lot of people lose because they say, well, I have a script. That's the value. No, it's not. Nobody knows that. Nobody knows that. And people aren't going to go, people aren't going to be willing to find out on their own. They're only going to be willing to find out if, if they have enough information to know that it's going to be worth their time. So oh, basically all this conversation, which, which I love because it's so different from um, the usual conversation is about relationship, which you call crowdsourcing. Crowdsourcing is, is building, is building relationships basically. Well, yeah, it's most base. I mean, people confuse crowdsourcing with crowdfunding. Crowdfunding, of course, is, you know, raising funds uh, either through equity or uh, rewards-based crowdfunding. And crowdsourcing is exactly that. It's, it's building relationships and building an audience and building a crowd. It's basically building an audience for you, the brand of you, the brand of your projects, and, and identifying and engaging and moving that audience on behalf of you. It's creating that army of boots on the ground in support of you. It's like I said earlier, if we have three people in a room, let's say it's you, me, and a friend of mine. And Natalie, you go to my friend and you say, uh, hey, you know, I'm fantastic. I'm a great writer. I'm a great producer. I, you know, I'm, make, I'm doing this podcast. I'm fantastic. My friend would probably look at you, especially if they're in the business and they've been around for a while, and they go, oh, that's nice. Like, yeah, okay. But if I say to my friend, hey, no, 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 
she's unreal. Like she's so talented and she's so great. You really need to take a, a look at her work. What's more powerful? Of course, my voice at this point is more powerful. Well, crowdsourcing is building an army of those voices that go out into the world to talk about the brand of you, the brand of those your projects and your mission, like what you're looking to do, what you're looking to accomplish. They are carrying the word of you. And that's so vital in this day and age for all the reasons that we've been talking about this whole entire time. Yeah, I mean, if you want to create that word, if you want it to be not like, hey, you have to look at my script, but have somebody else say, hey, you got to look at her script, that takes time. And that is, it's a strategy. And you have to understand what encompasses that strategy. So that that's really a lot of what the book is about. I hate in a way, and I fought with the publisher on this, that it's called crowdsourcing for filmmakers because people then think it's just for directors and everything like that. It's not. It's for all film creatives. In fact, it's for all business people, all entrepreneurs. And if you're a creative, I think you're an entrepreneur anyway. I say that all creatives are entrepreneurs. But it's for anybody looking to build an audience for themselves, looking to build a base for themselves of people, like I said, those boots on the ground that are going to go and preach the word of you and your projects. And it's so vital in this day and age. So within the book, there's a bunch of case studies that are just absolutely fascinating. People who crowdsourced uh, locations and character names and, you know, certainly money. There's some crowdfunding stuff in the book. There's two chapters on crowdfunding. So if you are thinking about crowdfunding, and the reason there's two chapters on crowdfunding within the book is because there has never been a successful crowdfunding campaign that didn't involve an aspect of crowdsourcing. The reason why you don't get reads or I should say the reason why crowdfunding campaigns fail is really kind of the same reason you're not getting reads or not getting attention for your projects. It's because you're just saying, most people just put up a crowdfunding campaign and they just say, here it is. Hey, look at me. And everybody goes, okay, you and everybody else. There's a million other things I could look at. And oh, by the way, this campaign right next to you, th the producers of this campaign have been wooing me and building my trust and giving me ownership and making me a part of it and keeping me involved and engaging me for the last six months. So who am I going to support? I'm going to support them. So that's why a good crowdfunding campaign, what it does, what, what the, the people who run a winning campaign, what they do initially is they identify who their audience is. This movie is about this subject. It's about, or these subjects. These are the groups, organizations, people that would be interested in this type of thing. We've identified them. Now we're going to engage them. We're going to you know, tell them about what we're doing. We're going to ask them questions, just like you asked your friend, is the Istanbul part of this correct? People that know their audience will go to their audience and say, hey, this is what we're looking to do with this. What do you think about that? We're thinking about taking the characters this way. They give them ownership. They make them feel like they're a part of it. They make them feel like they're absolutely right in the middle of it so that when the time comes to launch that campaign or when the time comes, if you're not doing a crowdfunding campaign, but you're looking to just move people because you have a new script and you want to you get reads – they're going to move on your behalf because you've kept them involved. You identified them, you engaged them, and now you can move them. And the perfect example of this, again, your Istanbul friend, the friend that read the script, yes, now she's, you know, she wants to be involved as a producer. But if she, if, let's say she didn't. Let's just say she came back and she was like, you know, thank you so much for getting me involved and asking, you know, trusting me enough to, to get. At that point, you could absolutely sit there and say, do you know anybody that might be interested in that or, you know, in this? Or can you keep me in mind if anybody 
And that's how shit gets done. But that's all crowdsourcing. You're taking the time. You identified that person. You engaged that person. And now you're moving that person. Imagine if you could do that with hundreds of people and organizations and companies and on and on and on and on. And that's why crowdsourcing is so, so, so important. It's what the influencers, if you think about, like everybody hates this influencer society, but if you think about what these influencers are doing, the people that are getting these views and these, and, you know, building this audience and building a gigantic brand on like a YouTube or a Vimeo or whatever, they are crowdsourcing. They know exactly who their audience is and they get on there and they ask them questions and what do you want to see? What do you want to do next? What should we do? And they get answers and then they do it. And then they move that audience. And that audience goes out and goes, you got to check this out. You got to see what's going on. That's what it's all about. And in this day and age, being able to bring an audience with you, you know, we always talk about IP, right? IP, intellectual property. So people are like, man, if you could have an article or a book or a magazine as proof you know, of, of the, the interest in this thing. And everybody's like, oh, IP, IP. And then sometimes IP really in a valuable way is the person. If the person has, you know, produce three or four great screenplays, they really kind of in a weird way become the IP. It's like, oh, the next screenplay is coming out. I want that. IP is value. The value in this day and age, if you can bring an audience with you, if you can walk into a room and say, hey, I just, you know, I produced this web series or I produced this, uh, you know, this, this short and look at the amount of eyeballs on it and look how many people are looking at it. And you know, I want to turn it into a feature. I want to turn the web series into a show. People, the decision makers, producers and stuff like that are going to say, wow, man, you got a, you got a, a million people to look at this thing. Like, how did you do that? Well, I crowdsourced them. I got them involved. I got them. Now they're really interested because they know that you're going to be able to move that. If they put money into this thing and they're going to turn it into a show or a movie, they know you're going to bring your audience with them. And that's important. That's why influencers are getting hired to be in movies. Actually, it's uh, it's funny because you know Seth Godin, he's a American marketer, I guess. He started a podcast recently named Akimbo, and one of his uh, episodes that I recommend and I wrote an article about it on, on Mentorless is about the grand opening. And one thing he said that goes exactly where you're going. He he said Kickstarter should be called Kick Finisher, and the reason why it should be called Kick Finisher is because you need to begin with people who trust you. Basically, he said. Kickstarter is the end of a multi-month or multi-year effort to earn trust and attention. It's not a grand opening, it's a grand ending. And I think it's it's great because a lot of people think that I need $10,000 for my short film or for my feature film. I'm going to make a Kickstarter campaign and people are going to get interested. But you need to do the work before starting your, your Kickstarter campaign and it's hard. And I think it's getting harder and harder. I don't know how you feel about it. But five years ago, it was maybe easier to, if you were very focused, to crowdsource people. And now because people are, there is a fatigue. And so it's even harder to build and even more important to build a healthy relationship with people before asking them anything, if you ever end up as asking them something. Uh, it's so, first of all, I love everything uh, he said. I mean, it's, it's, it, and that at its essence, I mean, everything that he said is crowdsourcing. Uh, it's years and years or months and months of putting in the time and building trust. And once you build trust, this is the beauty of crowdsourcing as well. And I'll get to your other question about, uh, you know, is it getting tougher? Yeah, it absolutely is. And I'll get to that in a second. But here's the beauty of crowdsourcing and when you do crowdsourcing well, okay? And what, he, what he's talking about, about building trust. When you build trust with people, and, and this is not just for, again, for, uh, 
crowdfunding, but for anything, everything, getting your reads, getting your content out there, getting things seen, you know, getting in rooms, it all begins with this idea of once you build trust and then once you deliver on the promise of what you say you're going to do, you will have more and more people line up in support of you and what you're doing. And it becomes easier to go back to them a second and a third time. The reason why, and the example of this crowdfunding, the reason why people who are, are successful at one crowdfunding campaign have an enormous success rate with the second one is because they are able to go back to their audience and say, okay, now I'm going to do the next thing. And the reason they're able to say, I'm able to go do the next thing and everybody runs is because they delivered on the promise of the first thing over and over. Not only delivered on it, over delivered on it. They've given them everything and more. And now these people will run through fire for you. And, and, and you know, here's an example of this, okay? When you're first starting out, like I said earlier, for somebody that's running their first crowdfunding campaign or, or any campaign, people, even if you're going out there with your script, if nobody knows who you are, Really, what is what are they going to be interested in? They are going to be interested in the content of your material. So for a crowdfunding campaign, that's the film or the project or whatever. For a screenplay, of course, it's the content of the screenplay. Is it interesting? Is it marketable? Is it well-written? All right. So they are going to be fans of the screenplay. That is their entry point. You have to deliver on the promise of everything that you say you're going to do and the unspoken rules you know, as well, well-written, well-formatted, all that, you should be delivering on, okay? If you deliver on those promises, if you deliver on everything, if you prove yourself to be somebody you, that they could work with and that's, you know, collaborative and isn't too precious about taking notes in the case of screenwriting, let's say, and in the, in the case of a crowdfunding campaign, you know, you promise them extras and you promise you're going to be involved and you send them pictures from being on set and you do all these different things and then you deliver a great film and you keep them involved through post and you keep them involved through distribution and you keep them involved the whole way through. Guess what happens? The shift goes from being a fan of the work to being a fan of you. And that is the beauty of crowdsourcing because now everybody wants to be in the business and be line up behind you. You're now the brand. You're the brand of you now is somebody that can deliver on every promise, does what he or she, she says they're gonna do, and now all of a sudden it becomes infinitely easier. And like, you know, the way I equate this, I, I told this story recently, but it's the best sort of illustration I can give. And I said, think about your favorite filmmaker, okay? One of my favorite filmmakers is P.T. Anderson. When P.T. Anderson started out, he did Hard Eight. Hard Eight was an indie film with a gambling bent, crime drama, all this stuff, all things that I love. And a friend of mine who knew that I loved all those things, knows that I love independent film, not big studio guy, knows I love these types of character-driven dramas and everything like that, said, you have to go check this film out. I saw it at, you know, whatever it was, Film Festival X, and you got to go check it out. And I went and I checked it out, and I was like, wow, this is a really good movie. It was different. I love the characters. And all of a sudden, I said, okay. I can't wait to see what this guy does next. So I went from being a fan of the content to being like, well, let's see what this guy does next. And of course, the next thing he did was Boogie Nights. And I was like, holy shit, this is amazing. And now he had me locked for life, right? Now it doesn't matter what he's going to do next or where he was going to go next. If you want to do a quirky little thing like Punch Drunk Love, I'm in. I'm going to go see it. I don't care what the critics say. I don't care what anybody else says. I'm going to watch it. That is exactly what, ha what will happen with you if you handle yourself right. 
Now, what people don't get, most people don't get, is they want everybody to be a fan of them from the beginning. I'm so great. I'm so fantastic. You got to see how great I am. No, 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 no. The, <laughs> the content, the content needs to speak for itself first. Okay. The content needs to be out in front of you. All right. And then over time, it'll be about more about you. Okay. That's that part of the answer to that. But the other part, when you said, is it getting harder? You bet your ass it's getting harder and it's going to get more and more and more difficult. But you said the word work. And this is why so many people fail is because they don't look at it as work and they don't want to treat it like work and they don't want to put in the work. And that's the difference. So I always say to me, every single day of my creative life and business life, I think to myself, how can I get a, how can I get a competitive advantage today? Okay. Sometimes the easiest way to get a competitive advantage in this industry is to just do the damn work and try to win every day in a micro sense, understanding that if you win enough of those micros, you're going to win the macro eventually. And but so many people want to win the macro, you know, every day, you know, they want to conquer the world in a day and it doesn't happen. It's not realistic. You got to build and you got to go brick by brick. I hate using that cliche, but it's true. You got to go brick by brick. And people that understand that give themselves a competitive advantage over the legions of people that don't. I love this conversation because uh, it's so. We're going to end this conversation, and we ended up not talking <laughs> about the, the the writing process of you writing this book. But um, I don't know. Maybe we'll do another session another time. But I love, I love it because I feel I feel it's very important. Everything you said is very important, and and there's more to to talk about. But. I mean, I'm guessing people will find out in your book or, you know, they'll do the work to find the answers because it's a big, it's a big thing. It's a big thing to build relationships. It asks for certain qualities as well. But in a way, I feel you opened up also my eyes on something that I didn't word that clearly. And, and so I, I really want to thank you for all your passion and the knowledge you shared today. And I, I hope we'll have another conversation about the creative process be, behind writing this book. But I feel the message that needed to go out today was really building relationships is half of the creative work, actually. Yeah. I, and if I could just say to, you know, to wrap up with the audience that, you know, I, you know, first of all, I'd be thrilled to come back on. I love this. I love, I love having these conversations and I love talking to you and I'm obviously going to see you in Cannes and we'll, we'll talk more. And, but I mean, I love it. And I, and I, cause I know you get it. And I mean, that's one of the things that I love about you too, is that you're, you know, you practice what you preach as well. And, and you lead by example. And, and it's why, again, you're doing this show and why you're taking the angle with the show that you're taking. And, and, I think your audience, if, if they're new to this show and they're new to you, they're going to realize that very, very quickly. And, and they, you know, they should take your passion and your commitment and the things that you do very seriously and, and, and follow your lead. You know, as far as the book is concerned, look, everything we talked about today is, you know, part and parcel to why I wrote the book. And it's, it's, um, and you know, when I was asked to write the book, why I said, yeah, I'll, you know, I'll, I'll jump on board, even though it took me a while. Um, but the thing is, is that look, it's, it's, you really should check it out. I'm not saying it because I wrote it. I am saying it because I guarantee you, and I guarantee you this, if you read it, you will give yourself that competitive advantage 
that we're talking about. And if I could just plug it, I'll plug it really quick. It's, it's called Crowdsourcing for Filmmakers, like I said, for, for, for all film creators. But the, the subtitle of the book is the, the part that I love is it's indie film and the power of the crowd. And I want you guys to think about the power of having an army of boots on the ground in support of you and how big that is. And, and this book will teach you how to do it. It's available on Amazon. If you don't get Amazon, if you're listening to this and you can't um, get delivery through Amazon, Amazon doesn't deliver through you. If you go to focalpress.com and put in crowdsourcing for filmmakers, they will deliver it to you. The publisher will deliver it to you direct. Um, and then I also just want to mention that, you know, I do respond to everybody, um, you know, if they handle themselves the right way. I mean, if you go on to Stage 32, I urge you to get on to Stage32.com. You will get that message from me asking you to invite at least five fellow creators. Please do that. But feel free to say hello as well, because I do respond to all wall posts. And you could also follow me on Twitter and Instagram at RB, my initials, RB, walks into a bar, which is exactly the way it sounds. RB walks into a bar. I handle all of it. So if you get a response from me, you can be rest assured that it is me. So I hope that you'll connect. And I will put all the information and all the links to everything from the book to your socials and Stage 32 on uh, mentorless.com slash podcast. So if anyone is in doubt, they can find everything uh, there, including the other things we mentioned and that might be linked to. And I, I thank you, Herbie. Thank you for your time and um, until our next conversation. Thank you, Natalie. This was awesome. Thank you so much for having me. This episode was produced and edited by me, Nathalie Sejean. The music was created by French artist Soul of Bear. You can discover the techno universe on SoundCloud at soundcloud.com slash soulofbear. You can find all the show notes along with all the previous episodes on mentorless.com slash podcast. It is also the place where you can submit your story. So if you completed a creative project that taught you unique lessons and you'd like to share, go to mentorless.com slash podcast. Click on the form at the bottom of the page and submit your story. Thank you so much for sticking around until the end. I'll see you in two weeks for our next episode. Mm -hmm.